You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Heavenly Horticulture in a Place Called Hell, recorded on July 8, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. It is so good to be with you. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike, and I'm the pastor here at Harvest Community Church, and you may be listening in Indiana, Pennsylvania, and we love Indiana, or the Petroleum Valley, or you could be in beautiful Freeport, Pennsylvania, the tourist capital of our state. Not really. The people in Freeport uh, probably wonder why I'm saying that. You could be in jail. You could be in India listening. It doesn't matter where. The Word of God is powerful wherever we are. Now, we are going through parables Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, if you want to get your Bible ready. Um, There is a a text in Matthew where a a prophet is quoted, and he says, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus, when he told these parable stories, was uttering what was hidden from the foundation of the world. That's just amazing. The revelation that's right in our Bibles, uh, secrets that have been hidden from the beginning of the world, revealed nowhere else except through Jesus Christ. So the faithful hear and believe, let that, let, let, let's hope that's us, okay? Let that be us. Let's be good topsoil today. All right, ready? So here comes a parable, and uh, fortunately, this is another parable that Jesus interprets for us. He doesn't leave us on our own, but let's read it. Starting in verse 24 of Matthew 13. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Did you give us a bad bunch of seeds? And he goes, no, no, there's nothing wrong with that seed. He said, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, you know, take the weeds out? He said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's your parable that reveals a secret that had been hidden since the foundation of the world. Well, what's the secret? And Jesus explains this one to his disciples. So jumping down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Son of man is a reference to himself. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So he just sets out all the interpretations of the parts. So you can figure out 
how they go together. And then he says in verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, this parable presents the best of futures, the worst of futures, and the fate of the whole world. There is a lot that's packed into this one, the fate of the entire world. Let's look a little more closely and just by making simple observations. First one, every person on the planet belongs either to Jesus or to Satan. According to this parable, every human being on the planet is a son of the kingdom or son of the devil. He says the field is the world. It's the entire world, every bit of the planet. And the wheat is the sons of the kingdom. What kingdom? Well, his kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus as king. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one, sons of the devil. Sounds like a bad motorcycle gang or something, doesn't it? But it's everyone who doesn't know Jesus. What he's referring to here is not your physical parentage, but your spiritual parentage. You may be married to someone who, when I said that, that everyone is, could be a child of God or a child of the devil, you might have thought, aha, that explains my spouse. <laughs> and <laughs> now I have it. <laughs> but this is not physical fatherhood. This is spiritual parenthood. You see, here, here's the mystery. Jesus is God's only son. You've heard that, right? But then you also hear that we're all children of God who, who know him. Some people say everyone in the world is a child of God. Um, Everyone in the world is not a child of God. And in a sense, none of us are his child in the way that Jesus is. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. What does that mean? It means he's the only person in or out of the universe who is just like his Father. You are just like your Father in one way. You're a human being and your Father was a human being. Jesus is God. That's why he, he, he uniquely is the only son of God. You will never be a God. So you can never be the son of God like he is. However, um, when you come to know Christ as Savior, though you're physically man or human, uh, in our feminist days, if you say man, there are women trained to think he's not talking to me. So human, um, homo sapien, If you are physically human, you can be spiritually adopted as a son or daughter of God. That's what the Bible says. Salvation is adoption. right? That it's, God has no grandchildren. You've heard that? Everybody who comes to God and his family comes as an adopted son or daughter. John 1.12 makes this very clear. Listen carefully. This is a, a seminal verse in the Bible. Seminal meaning it's, it's foundational. It's one I hope that you are familiar with, even memorize. It's worth it. But all who did receive him. How many of you could say, I received Jesus? Don't raise your hand. That's kind of um, rhetorical. Don't want to put you on the spot. But all those who would say, yeah, I received Jesus. How many of you are out there? To all who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. It doesn't say it's simply to be called children, but to actually become. And to become a child of God as a right. It's your, it's your natural born right by the Spirit. Why? Because you were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So there's two births. You can be born of your mom. Well, you are born of your mom, or you're not here. And then you can be born again from God. And, and if you are born once, you will die twice. And if you're born twice, you will die once. But you can think about that one later. So this birth, when he, says, when he says these are the sons of the kingdom, he doesn't mean physically sons. He means spiritually sons. Well, what, how can you tell a spiritual son for, of, of God from a spiritual son of the devil? The answer is people act like they're spiritual parents. We behave like our spiritual parents want us to. And your spiritual parent, sitting in the room you're in right now, is either God or the devil. Now, if you're not a believer, I'm not trying to freak you out, but Satan's your daddy. <laughs> That's a little freaky, I know. But, but don't run away. Let me get through this message, and maybe it'll make more sense. This is what the Bible's saying. You have a spiritual parent, and you're going to act like that parent. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, and in this we have some insight into what he meant. He had told them that their father wasn't God, and they said, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. He said, look, God the Father loves me. Not me, Jesus. He's saying, God the Father loves me, I'm his son. No one loves anyone as much as God the Father loves God the Son. When God start, decided to talk from the sky in the New Testament, what was it that he said? Look at my boy. This is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. He said it twice. If you are his son, you would love me because he loves me. You would be like him. That's Jesus' logic. For I came from God and I'm here. He may be even hinting at the Trinity. Now there's one God, three persons. If you say you love God but hate me, don't you realize I'm God? He could be saying. He said, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. The Father in heaven sent the Son. Why do you not understand what I say? <laughs> you know, if I was a smart aleck, I'd say, Jesus, because this is some freaky stuff. <laughs> I mean, if somebody comes up to you and they're flesh and blood and they say, I'm the Son of God, that's some freaky stuff. But I don't think he's asking that. I, I think he's saying, why are you so stubborn that you won't believe the truth when it's right in front of you? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says this, you are of your father, the devil. And, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character. He is a liar. He is a father of lies. Now, these guys aren't walking around thinking they're children of the devil. They're walking around thinking they're pretty good. For goodness sake, they're priests, right? They're Jewish priests. They're rabbis. They think they're pretty good. He's saying, you're children of the devil. I think it can be hard for any of us to think of ourselves as children of the devil. But since you cannot be born from your mother a child of God, but to be a child of God, you have to be born again. When you're old enough to understand the message and believe. 
That means that every one of you here who thinks you're a child of God and are, you were once a child of the devil too. Everybody gets to uh, uh, stop at child of the devil. (laughs) Everyone gets to come from that tribe. Some people get to transfer over to child of God. Are you with me? Did you know the Bible said this? Many of you did. Maybe some of you didn't. Maybe you said, yeah, I think I did, but I never heard it that way. That, that, that to become a child of God is to, is to transfer, it's to change teams, to go from child of devil to child of God. Colossians 1, 13, 14, another seminal verse about our identity. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. You've received a transfer from to the kingdom of his beloved son. You were in the domain of darkness. Who wants to be in the domain of darkness? Not a good place. And he picked you up and he transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in whom we, because Jesus did what was necessary to save you. That's the part about redemption and forgiveness of sins. It may be hard to understand that we are children of the devil by nature, but we are. Because we think of ourselves as basically good. We do not see our pride very well. It's really hard to look in a mirror for me and for you to see our own pride. It's really hard for us to look in a mirror and to see our own self-exaltation. It's really hard for us to look in a mirror and see how we're really all about me. And that's not you all about me. (laughs) You're all about you. And you wish the whole world was all about you too. I wish the whole world was all about me too. When I get in my car, I want everyone on the road to think first, where's Mike? What speed's he going? Where's he going? How can we help? (laughs) When I go to the store, I want everyone there to be friendly to me, treat me like an old lost friend or a new friend, to be kind, to be smiling. I, and you do too. We, it's really hard for us to see our selfishness except in those moments we call our worst moments. And then the real us comes out. We say, well, I was under stress. Oh, so if I put you under enough pressure, the real you comes out? Yeah, that's the real me. We have trouble seeing ourselves as children of the devil, but remember the devil's credo is me first. And that's all our credo. From toddlerhood on, from the time you can know right and wrong, on. So the second observation then, some of you say, well, wait, I got lost in, in all that talking. What was the first one? Every person on the planet belongs either to Jesus or Satan. That was the first. The second is humans should never use violence to advance the kingdom of God. And this one you might say, that's odd. I did not see that in that parable. You're making stuff up. You know, when I was studying this parable, this one jumped out, and I never thought of it when thinking of this parable either, but it's right there. Humans should never use violence to advance the kingdom of God. We should never take a gun and put it at someone's head and say, convert or die. We should never kill off people just because they're of another religion. That would be the same thing. Anyone ever says, Horrible things about hoping that people from other cultures or religions dies. That is not from God. That is not from Christ. That's from the devil. Humans should never use violence. How do I know that? Well, notice in the parable that the the, the manager, the farmer, wants you to be careful with every wheat thing. What do you call a wheat thing? A stalk? Is it a stalk? 
with every wheat rod plant thing. What do you, what do you call that? Any, is that a stalk? It's a big leaf. Whatever it is, he said, what's that? It's a shaft of wheat. Be, it, no, the chaff is what you throw away. Don't listen to him. He's not a farmer. <laughs> He's like a business guy. In any case, note in the parable that the wheat plant is, every single one of them is important to the one who planted them. And the other guys say, hey, let's just pull out the weeds and throw them away. And he says, no, you're going to hurt the wheat. Now, he told us that the wheat are the children of the kingdom, the weeds are the children of the devil, and then he said, remember what he said the workers were? Any of you remember? It was 10 minutes ago. Angels. The angels who execute his judgment for him at the end of the age. Because harvest is the end of the age. So he's saying to the angels who come in and they say, look, you got children of God in the world. You got children of devil in the world. The angels say, how about we take the children of devil and just throw them in the lake of fire right now? And God said, no. Some of those children of the devil are going to turn into wheat. You're going to burn them too fast. (laughs) Let them grow. Let them grow. Let Now, this is all parable form, but when you think about some of the biggest questions you have, and the whole world has, philosophical questions, existential questions, people who use the word existential questions, this is one of their big questions. Why does God let wickedness continue unchecked? If God is good, why war? If God is good, why cruelty? Why rape? Why abuse? Why disease? If God is good, why doesn't he stop the wickedness? His answer, for the sake of the wheat. For the sake of the beloved. He could have punished all the wicked 100 years ago, and where would you and I be? No. He says, angels, let it go. We'll, uh, we'll handle the wicked at the right time. Now, let me put this forward about how I get that humans should never use violence to advance the kingdom of God. Since angels, who know clearly what, what the master wants, are told they must wait to judgment before they determine who is evil and who's good, how much more should we humans who are very limited in what we can see? What does this mean? It means every place in human history that Christians have used the sword to advance the gospel, it was a mistake. The Spanish Inquisition, Bloody Mary, Salem witch trials, all bad news. You know. Um, she's a witch. <laughs> you know. How do you know she's a witch? She turned me into a newt. <laughs> well, I got better, thank you. Even burning witches. This says you can't burn witches. Someone should have pointed this out to the people of the Salem Witch Trial. You can't burn witches, they could be wheat. Now, I don't think Christians do this much, by the way. Throughout history, the history of Christianity is not a history of killing people. No matter what atheists tell you today, it just isn't. 
Christianity has been good for the planet, good for our nation, that's for sure. The whole idea that everybody matters, everybody's values, what ended slavery, which gave women rights, and which teaches us we all have the right to life, liberty, and property. So we're thankful that for the most part, Christians don't make this mistake. But it does show you the error of Islam, doesn't it? You can see how Satan planted this error in Muhammad's head. And you can see, you should say, Muhammad, look at what Jesus said. He, they're like, kill the infidels! And that's how Islam has spread. Not that every Muslim does that now, most don't. But you can see it's error. It's error if Christians do it. It's error if anyone does it. So, third observation. These are big things, aren't they? Who knew that was in that little parable? Here's another one. The kingdom of God will come to earth. That's pretty big. The kingdom of God is going to come to a place called earth. You're saying, well, I can't wait to get to heaven. You kind of can't wait, but you know ultimately in eternity you're going to have a body and you're going to be in a place and it's going to be called the new earth. John the Baptist gives us a good indication of what the Jews of Jesus' time expected when Messiah came. When John the Baptist was out there saying, the one who's greater than me is coming. Oh, I can't, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. He was also saying, and he's going to take the wheat and throw it in the barn and he's going to take the chaff and he's going to throw it in the fire and he's going to put the axe at the tree root. He, John the Baptist, expected when Messiah came from God, the one thing he's going to do is get rid of all the wickedness on our planet. Because that's what Messiah does. God does not coexist with wickedness, which means everybody who's wicked gets judged. John the Baptist was looking for that, and he didn't see it. At one point, John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends people to Jesus saying, are you the one to come? I mean, you're doing a lot of miracles. I thought you were. <laughs> the Spirit seemed to tell me that. But you're not throwing anyone in fire. If you're really Jesus, throw someone in fire. That was John the Baptist's point of view. The modern point of view is Jesus would never throw anyone in fire. We have to get rid of that whole doctrine. John the Baptist was like, well, if you're Messiah, fry somebody. But what he didn't know, he knew Messiah's kingdom had to be purged of sin. He didn't know that the cross had to come first. He didn't know that the cross was necessary to make the children of God into the children of God. Without the cross of Christ, where the innocent one atones for the sins of the guilty, none of the children of the devil would become children of God. Are you with me? Unless, the cross, unless Jesus died, and if Messiah came and executed the judgment he's going to execute, so his society had only righteous people in it, when he was done slaying everyone on the planet, he would be alone in his kingdom. So he had to die on a cross to make a way for any of those children of the devil to be saved. There is no way to be saved except trusting in what someone else did for you. If you say, well, I'll only accept what I can do myself, you will go to hell. You must realize as a child of the devil, you're helpless. But Jesus cares enough about you to die and pay with his blood for the sins of the world. And John the Baptist didn't realize that that had to happen. And that's okay. No one realized it except Jesus. Even the apostles didn't realize it. But after that, the next big event in the God calendar, that, that he tells us about at least, is the judgment. Did you know that? 
Do you know that in this year that you live in, that in the God calendar, from what he's revealed to us, the next big event is his return to the earth to judge people, purge, (laughs) it's a movie now, it's a stupid idea for a movie because sinners aren't good at purging, they purge all the wrong people. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up a kingdom on this earth and it will be the earth the way it should always have been. Let's look back at our parable. I know because we read it now a little while back. I want to make sure we catch this. He says the harvest is the end of the age. There's no separation of the wheat and the weeds till then. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. That's me, by the way. (laughs) Except Christ died for me and saved me and I was born again. You're looking at a cause of sin and a lawbreaker. But don't get too high and mighty. If you look in a mirror, you'll see the same. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. Where? In the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. See, when Jesus returns, the removal of evil ones will begin the eternal joy of God's kingdom on earth. Ultimately, heaven is called a new earth. Now there's Christians who can't figure out future texts. Some of us uh, see the millennium as what comes next. Jesus reigning on the earth for a thousand years. Others don't. That's all right. They can be wrong. (laughs) But the point is, ultimately, we all agree that there'll be a new earth. So this, this should be a great relief to some of you because if some of you were like me when I was a kid, heaven looked like the most boring place in the world. I I don't want to go to hell, but at least something interesting was going on down there. People were getting poked with forks and whatnot, and, um, you know, they had the color red. I mean, it was at least a color. Heaven was nothing but white clouds and, and harps, and that's not heaven. Heaven is a place, a new earth. Earth, as it always should have been. Have you ever had this thought, it just shouldn't be this way? Right? That you can't be human without thinking. Humans are all... Con- humans are a species that all of us, our expectations are not met. Every one of us. And I don't care what, what culture, what country, what year. We're all like, no, you didn't meet my expectation. We don't say it that way. We think I shouldn't be hurting right now. You shouldn't be double-crossing me right now. This person shouldn't have died right now. This war shouldn't be taking place right now. It shouldn't be this hard. This, it should be better than this. And then you get people trying to form governments and philosophies to make it better from, than this for themselves. They're not going to get there. But all of us are right. It should be better than this. We have no idea what it's like to live on an earth with no temptation, no evil, no sorrow, no pain. But we will. We will. Revelation at the end of the Bible gives us the end that uh, is our new beginning. In 11.15 it says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. What did they say? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. It doesn't say the kingdom of the clouds. And of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Second Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, Jesus's, we're waiting for a new heavens. And in this case, that actually means the sky and where the stars are. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
we should long for it. We should imagine it. Every good thing that you like in life, multiply its pleasure by a million. That's probably close to what you're going to be having in the new world and no pain. Uh, The children of the kingdom will have this joy forever, but not so the children of the devil. And that leads us to our final observation, and that is that hell is real. Hell is real. This doctrine is often under attack. It just so happens that the week I'm hitting this sermon, at least three people want to talk to me about a false teaching that's going around of annihilationism, conditionalism. Have you ever heard these words? People don't like the idea of punishment. They don't like the idea of Jesus throwing people into fire. Well, you're not human if you like the idea of anyone being thrown into fire. I got to be careful there. When we think someone is seriously wicked and seriously evil because they've done something we think is seriously bad, we want them to be thrown into fire. We do, right? You think of somebody who raped a bunch of children and killed a bunch of people and chopped them up. You probably have had the thought, hell is not good enough for this person, right? I'm not the only one. But for the most part, if you're normal, even if you saw that person on the edge of fire, you might change your mind. You're like, no, people shouldn't be thrown into fire. It's normal to not want people to go to punishment. That's consistent with the scripture's view of hell, by the way. Hell is never sown as a fun place, an attractive place, a place where you're supposed to cheer. But it's there. Some say there's no hell. Others say there's no punishment, that you're just annihilated. You die and you cease to be. And then others are saying, this is the, the what is it, what do they call it again? I, I said it. Um, don't worry about it. But they say that you will burn a little while and then you'll cease to be. The text dispels all those notions. Look what Jesus says. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and they will throw them into the fiery furnace. If there is no hell, where are they being thrown? Someone said, well, fiery furnace is a symbol. Of course it's a symbol. God doesn't need a furnace to heat heaven. But it's a symbol of what? Something worse. It's hell. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If that place isn't there, or if people are annihilated and don't go there, there will be no weeping and no gnashing. Who's weeping and gnashing if there's no hell? Well, some say a loving God cannot be reconciled with such punishment. How could God eternally punish someone for a finite sin? A number of ways I want to get and, and answer that. I think the first is, and this is the one that should guide us in all difficult questions of the scripture, is who do we think we are to think because our reason can't handle it that it's not true? In other words, did you expect to understand everything God told you? And do you expect that you can judge God? as right or wrong, that you know whether he's doing right or wrong if there's a hell? Do you know that? Do you know justice so well? Are you so just that you can tell God what is just? 
Do you know how holy he is? To know how great a sin your sin is? Do you know how great a sinner? We st- I started saying, we don't know that we're children of the devil. It's hard to admit. That's a fact. It's really hard for us to see our wicked side, if you will, until someone catches us doing our most awful thing. And if you can remember back to that point in your life, you remember at that moment you felt like a piece of dirt and you knew you were right. But then you cover it over. You don't know how sinful you are. And you don't know how ugly that is to God because you don't know how holy he is. So who are we to tell God what's just? Some say evangelism is hindered by the obvious flaw of hell. I was reading a stupid website that I even hate to name except for to warn some people. Um, Stupid website called Rethinking Hell. Look, if anyone wants to rethink any of the major doctrines of the Bible, don't go there. That's what Satan said to Eve. Did God really say you can't eat of any fruit? Well, now he's on a website saying, did God really say there's hell for eternity? It's still Satan. And right in there, he says, well, when we're witnessing to people, this isn't going to work. He says, Darwin said the reason he didn't believe is because he couldn't believe a God of eternal hellfire. Oh, Darwin said that. Well, maybe we should call God on the phone and say, God, Darwin doesn't like that. How about you fix that? Do you think Darwin would have said, well, I've changed my mind. God's really there. If people are stubborn and aren't going to believe, you can make God do anything they want him to do. He's not, they're not going to change. But for the most part, if evangelism is hindered by the flaw of hell and our bad interpretation, which it isn't, why are there more Christians on the planet now than ever? You know, Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone in the Bible. By far. People say, well, you shouldn't say hell because you don't want to scare people into heaven. To which I say, why wouldn't I? Hell seems downright motivational. (laughs) Jesus used it that exact same way. Do not fear those who kill the body. Fear those who throw body and soul into hell. Or him. Well, that sounds like he's He's trying to scare. I don't like fire and brimstone preaching. When's the last time you heard any? All I hear is fluffy candy and cottontails. I shouldn't have to do it, but I'm going to give a little more biblical support. I wish I could take two hours and fill in all the blanks so that no one is led astray. But for those of you who remember us coming off of 1 Timothy, this is exactly what Paul was telling Timothy, don't let people wrangle over words and teach their silly doctrines that throw people off and make them stray. We preach faith working through love. Our end is love. Not rewriting God's justice. So, Daniel 12, 1 to 2. But at that time, this is Old Testament too. Oh, there's no heaven and hell in the Old Testament. Only people who have never read the Bible carefully say that. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that's dead folks, shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Sons of the kingdom. 
and some to shame and everlasting contempt. How long is the contempt? Everlasting. Well, certainly God wouldn't make it everlasting. Maybe contempt can be everlasting, but they're not there. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. People say that. That's their answer. Why does he use the word everlasting? It's, it's obviously you have two fates, everlasting life, everlasting shame. People uh, wonder what happens to people when they die. The Bible is clear on this too. If you die and you know the Lord, you immediately go into his presence in the spirit, not in body. We say you go to heaven because I guess it's heavenly. It's awesome. But it's not your final place. We see this in more than one place in the Bible, but Paul made it clear in case you weren't listening, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The Lord on the cross said to the guy next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. There was the story Jesus told about a, a rich man and a poor guy named Lazarus, and not the Lazarus who got up from the dead, there's a whole other Lazarus, and he immediately went up to heaven. But if you're a child of the devil, you immediately go to a place of torment which is where that rich guy went. Not because he was rich, because he was wicked. And from the place of torment, he stayed. He's still there now. He didn't annihilate. He's suffering. I'm sure if he could say one thing to people now is don't listen to the liars who tell you that punishment is not real. Let me read this to you. I don't know if we have it on a slide. Let me read it, though. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. It's not a happy thought. Those who want to soften the other side of the good news and say there is no punishment, this guy would call them a liar. The the very next thing he says is, well, God, if I can't get water, would you send someone to tell my brothers to not come to this place? By the way, this is how I know at funerals. I don't always tell people how I know. I will tell them, I know one thing. If your loved one can talk to you now, I know they're saying, follow Christ. Because if their loved one's in hell, we know what they say in hell. Tell my brothers don't come here. And if they're in heaven, we know what they're going to say. So I know it's right. Now, if you die... In your spirits with God, what happens with that resurrection? When the Lord returns, according to the scripture, you get resurrected. At the trumpet sound, at the last trump, when the Lord will return, those who are dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and we'll always be with the Lord. That's when you get your new body. And then you'll be in a new earth with a new body, and it'll be an awesome body, much like the one you're looking at right now. Some of you are saying, better be better than that. It is. It is. It is. I'm kidding. What about the lost? They get resurrected too. 
and they get bodies. Renewed bodies, not like ours, but they get bodies. And what happens to them? They're judged and thrown into fire. Sometimes they left fire. It can't be a lake of fire. That's got to be symbolism. Well, of course it's symbolism. For what? The worst thing that John could call what he saw was lake made with fire. That's about as bad as it gets. Who wants to burn? Lake fire. Symbol for what? Something real that's worse than that. But it's like that. Before Jesus returns, or at the time, he's going to throw the Antichrist, which is a man, which is a man, and his prophet, who's a man, human beings, into this lake of fire. Revelation 19.20, and the beast was captured with it, the false prophet. It's the Antichrist and the prophet. Who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped it, its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. It does not say they ceased to be. It doesn't say they burned up. The lake of fire is a place that someone could be thrown in while he lives. This is a place. Hell is a place. People will be there. They're not there yet. They may be in that place of torment, but they haven't been reunited with the body that's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. A thousand years go by. Look what happens after a thousand years. These guys aren't annihilated. Let me show you. And when the thousand years are ended, the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were. The tense of that verb were meant they were there when the devil got there. A thousand years gone by, they're still there. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Well, you could say, well, maybe hell's just for those two dudes and the devil. But the devil is not in charge in hell, and he's not in hell now. All those cartoons are wrong. He doesn't want to go there. But they will be joined by other people because here is the judgment that John the Baptist thought would happen when Jesus came. It just happened much later. It still hasn't happened yet. It will happen. And I saw the dead, great and small, because they'd been raised up. These are the wicked. These are the sons of the devil. Standing before the throne, books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. They weren't in the book of life, but everything they did was written in those books. And all that was proof against them that they were children of the devil. Then what happens to them? The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, that'd be the grave. <laughs> and the, where all the souls are, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them. According to what they had done, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. One of the great lies that is used by false teachers is when the Bible says, if you don't believe in him, the wages of sin is death. They think, they're, they, they, the people who hear that don't even realize that what they believe is death is ceasing to exist. The Bible never says death is seeking to exist. Never once. Death is you're separated from God. And if you, 
it, it, before you got saved, you were dead, according to Ephesians 2. You were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. You were walking around. It said when the rich man died, he was in Hades. He didn't cease to be. Death is not ceasing to be. And the liars lie, and people listen and believe it. I'm telling you, this is a thing right now, and that's why we're sitting on it. Listen to no one, no one who tells you that the soul is annihilated or there is no punishment. They are liars. I don't care if they call themselves scholars. They're not. They're they're fools. And then the other death that happens in the Bible is the lake of fire, the second death. Isn't that ceasing to be? No, it never was. The Antichrist and his prophet had been there in the second death for a thousand years. Didn't help him. But when death itself is thrown in, the point that death itself is thrown in means that those of us who are alive can never be touched by it again. So the lake of fire is never for you if you have Christ. This is the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in. I could go on and on. Matthew 25, 46. The sheep and the goats, where do the goats go? They go away to eternal punishment. The punishment is eternal. These fools on these websites say things like, and on their podcasts, these fools, these horrible, stupid men, these horrible, stupid wolves who are preying on God's sheep, who puff up these sheep by making them think they're smarter than the rest of the Christians because they see the truth and they're just being lied to. These horrible, stupid men would say eternal punishment. Punishment is eternal, but that doesn't mean the, the people still exist in hell. Then how could it be eternal punishment? Whereas Jesus says, appropriating Isaiah, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I could go on. The lake of fire is a place we call it hell. It exists. God's justice demands punishment for sin and that's really what what we're talking about here. Every sin demands punishment. The argument against our God is, well, how dare he punish eternally a finite sin to which I'd say who do you think you are thinking your sin is finite if it's against an eternal God who do you think you are saying that every if God doesn't punish every sin guess who's not just God and if God is not just he is not God if he is not righteous you don't want to be in heaven He must punish every sin. And the way he chose for the human race to avoid hell, which is what God wants, was to punish, was become a man himself and punish himself in our place. That's the great sacrifice that washes away sin. If you don't want that, you can pay for it for yourself. How long will it take? Forever. Now those who say, no, it's according to their deeds. So some of them fry for a certain amount of time and then they cease to be and others fry for a little longer, some a little shorter. Let me ask you a logical question, a logical question if that were true. 
If somebody fries for a thousand years because he, he had a thousand years worth of sin, that's all. And another guy fries for 10,000 years, so he has to fry 9,000 years longer because he was rotten. Never think about the injustice of all those people who happened to die 3,000 years before the judgment and have the extra time in Hades. But forget that. Just the frying in the lake part. When they've paid for their last sin and all their sins have been paid for by their own pain, why do they not get to go to heaven? They've paid for their sins. Why do they have to cease to be? Right? You with me? Isn't that logical? You paid for your sin. Why would God annihilate you now? The answer from the liars, though they won't say it, this is the answer. Because we just have to have it this way. They just have to be annihilated. Because, because I said because, because. And they're liars. Suffering, God's justice must be satisfied. This is the whole point of the atonement. Is that Christ's blood satisfied God's anger at sin. If you can burn off your sin, the cross of Christ is not necessary. We must assume he understands, with this in mind, how should we live? Well, first, there's a lot of gravity to every human you see, isn't there? Every human you see. Run from the love of this world. It's worth it to fight sin in your own life. But think of the urgency with which we need to reach our friends and family. God wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. Your friends and family who don't know Christ are right now on this human stage pulled tight on a string between heaven and hell and they're gonna fall one way or the other. They're just their destiny. And you have a message to save them. Am I using punishment as a motivator for you to move? Yes! You're doggone only an idiot would think this is not motivating. If it's true, if it's true, if it's not true, who cares? Fold this place up and open a beer hall, doggone it, let's party. But if it's true, Yeah, you better be motivated by the fact that people are going to hell. And if you're in here and you have yet to give your life to Christ, you'd be stupid not to be motivated by the danger of punishment. Just be dumb. No judgment on you. It would just be dumb. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, and that perishing goes on, but have eternal life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.